Thank you, Kristen. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? It's good to be together with you. I hope that this has been a good morning for you already, a time of worship, a time where you can bring your thoughts, your uh, priorities, your mind into subjection to the Word of God and the will of God as you come to the time of the teaching of the Word, that you can just say, okay, Lord, now uh, help me understand what you have to say and feed me. So that's, a, that's our desire for worship time, to bring us to a point where we can understand the Word of God. Everything points towards it. If you have little ones now uh, through grade four and you'd like them to be in children's church, they can be dismissed at this time. The rest of you, if you would, open your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. God's plan for a healthy church is study through these two books. Hopefully you didn't make the mistake with them, uh, like the guy behind me made. And it all went well for your Valentine's Day. The sweet from the bitter comfort is our focus today, and so uh, we'll have, a, I think, a time where you can be, really be enriched in uh, your time of the Word. Look at verse 1, if you would, of chapter, uh, chapter 1 of Second Corinthians. We'll read through verse 7 as is our habit, and then we'll uh, dig into the Word today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, for just... As the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Verse 6. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Verse 7. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. That is our passage we've been looking at. In his book, The Eye of the Storm, Max Lucado tells a story of an old man, a woodcutter, and his son who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all because he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, and its strength. People offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. The horse is not a horse to me, he would tell them. It, he is a friend, not a possession. How could you sell a friend? The man was poor, the temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. One morning he found that the horse was not in the stable. All the villagers came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you someone would steal your horse. We warned you you would be robbed. You're so poor, how could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better to have sold him. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. Now the horse is gone. You've been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. That's all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? People contested, don't make us out to be fools. We may not be philosophers, but great philosophy isn't needed. The simple fact is that your horse is gone, and that's a curse. And the old man spoke again. All I know is the stable is empty, and the horse is gone. The rest I don't know. Whether it's a curse or a blessing, I can't say. All we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? Only God knows the answer to that. The people laughed at him. They thought he was crazy. 
They'd always thought he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold the horse and lived off the money, but instead he lived hand-to-mouth in the misery of poverty, and now he'd proven that he was indeed a fool. But after 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He'd run away to the forest, and not only had he returned, he'd brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the village people gathered around the woodcutter and spoke, Old man, you were right, and we were wrong. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. And the man responded, Once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses returned with him, but don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You read only one page. How can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a phrase. Can you understand the entire phrase? Life is so vast, and yet you judge all of life with one page or one word. All you have is that part. Don't say this is a blessing. No one knows. Only God knows. I'm content with that and not perturbed by what I don't know. As they walked away, they were mumbling among themselves, maybe the old man's right. So they said little, but deep down they knew he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve wild horses had returned with one horse with a bit of work. The animals could be broken and trained and sold for much money. But not long after, the son of the old man began to break the wild horses, and after a few days he fell from one of the horses and broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You proved you were right. A dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son has broken his legs, and now you're in your old age. You have no one to help you. Now you're poorer than ever. The old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only that my son broke his legs. Who knows if it's a blessing or a curse? No one knows. Only God knows. We only have a fragment. It so happened that a few weeks later, the country engaged in war against the neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man, lamenting that their sons had been taken. The enemy was strong, and the war would be long, and they would perhaps never see their sons again. You were right, old man. They wept. God knows you were right, and this proves that your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, and he may have a long recovery, but at least he is with you. The old man spoke again. It is impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war and mine did not. No one knows if it's a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough to know. Only God knows. Obviously, a story made up to make a point. We have had over the last several Sundays an opportunity to begin to look at a very important topic, the life of the believer And that topic is the topic of suffering. We have been able to study it, not from an academic viewpoint, not from uh, an instructional viewpoint from Paul giving admonition and correction, but really instead through the eyes and experiences of the Apostle Paul as he relates them to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Very personal revelation from Paul. Uh, Paul in the middle of concern, Paul in the middle of trouble, Paul in the middle of difficulty and pain. And so, obviously, the passages have tremendous practical application, and it is good to think about those kinds of things before perhaps they come, or in the middle, or in between things that come, because there's always that part of us that unconsciously dismisses the difficulties others are having, right? We may see the, we may see the announcement on Facebook, please pray for this difficult situation, but forget, and perhaps not be too concerned. It's a lot of like the newspaper reporter who phoned a story to his editor about an empty, tr- an empty truck that rolled down a hill and smashed into a home. The editor was unimpressed and told the reporter he didn't want to run the story, to which the reporter replied, I'm glad you're taking this so calmly. 
it ran over your house. I think sometimes it has to be us. And all of a sudden, then we're aware that perhaps other people are suffering. And if we're not suffering or haven't had difficulty, it's really easy to forget that these are important things and aspects of the church that ministry springs from. We're going to see that today, and I think you saw that in our passage that we read. So it's easy to dismiss suffering and difficulty that isn't our own. But here, because of this really next passage, uh, in order in our verse-by-verse study, we're forced to deal with these issues and really get new perspective, I hope, on them. And like we saw in our short look at Peter's life last week, the Lord desires to do some certain thing or accomplish some certain thing in the lives of those that are his, just like he did it with Peter. And if you missed that passage, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to that section as we dealt with Peter out of Luke. But it's certainly so that we can become comforters to others, as we saw in verses 3 and 4. So the Lord wants to accomplish something. He wanted to bring Peter to a place where he could be effective in ministry and bring him and bring some humbleness to Peter and some reliance on the Lord to Peter. And after he was all done, he says, when you've come through this sifting, when you've come through this threshing, make sure you go back and you comfort and encourage your brethren. And so the Lord always uses those difficulties in our life to bring about some certain thing, perhaps to make us comforters. We saw that for sure is part of it. But uh, additionally, it may be to drive us to prayer or to deepen the prayer lives of people around us. So we're concerned about what's going on with other people. Uh, certainly to lead us to spiritual introspection, certainly to humble us, uh, certainly to develop some qualities of patience and endurance and maturity, and any number of other intents that the Lord may have in mind. But what we can learn from the Apostle Paul early in this chapter is that in the middle of difficulties, we are to keep in mind that Paul brought an attitude to bear in all of his sufferings, this attitude of a confidence assurance in the nature of God. God is indeed good, that he is sovereign, that he is the father of all comfort, the God of mercy. He brought an experience there where our actual experience that Paul experienced in the middle of the very point of trouble, God is actively comforting. We saw the application he uses, which is this. He sees comfort, Paul does, as a trust, a stewardship. So when we're having a difficult time, the Lord comforts us. That is a stewardship, something not intended to end with Paul, but to be passed on no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the trouble is. What the pressing pressure is, God gives us these benefits so that we can give them away. And then Paul moves on to illustrate that point. And we saw this last week. The illustration, Paul says, you've already seen these things at work in your own experience. And beloved, uh, maybe that's what you've discovered too as we've gone through some of this passage. You've looked back at some of the things in your life and discovered that, you know what, the Lord has been at work in your own life and back on your experiences. And now you can see the hand of the Lord at work. Now look at Second Corinthians verse 5, if you would. And it leads us into the next section. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is in abundance through Christ. Stop right there. So Paul says, for instance, let's take the sufferings of Christ as an example. Okay? If we're going to use an example, we can point this out in your life. We can say, okay, this is, this is what we understand. This is the illustration you all should know. And the principle here is that the sufferings of Christ, that Christ had to suffer, are part of the commonality that all believers share. We saw that last time. So there is a... There is a solidarity, if you will, between the followers of Christ and Christ and his sufferings and the sufferings that the believers have to suffer through. So Paul's prayer, Paul's experience are the prayers and experience of every true believer as he relates this, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians 3, he says this, So no one should be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourself know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. 
So our, comfort, our sufferings, if you will, for Christ's sake, arise from the same cause as his. So Paul uses the sufferings of Christ to illustrate his point. Namely, the opposition of darkness to light, the truth of God's word over and against the lies of the evil one. These all create that situation in your life, just like it did in Christ. The truth of the word of God against the lies of the evil one, you know, embraced by the world, the sinfulness of men, hard hearts, stiff necks, all of that. And these are sufferings that are as a result of Christ. Now, we're going to see this next week because we don't have time to deal with it today, but I want to make sure we differentiate between the sufferings that are sufferings for wickedness and sufferings that are a part of those who suffer for Christ, so sufferings in righteousness. And there's a difference, and I think it's important to point it out. First Peter 4 really deals with that extensively. We'll, look, we'll start with that next week just to kind of round out our understanding. So there's a suffering for wickedness, but Paul uses the illustration of suffering as Christ suffered to help us understand that you've already experienced this. You've suffered as Christ has suffered, and the comfort that you've received, you're able to pass along. So, we're talking about these kinds of sufferings, Christ's sufferings, John 15, 20. Again, a great illustration of this. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus says, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So not only are there tribulations that come as a result of a sinful world, a body that doesn't work right, chastening for a purifying process, difficult people, they all come to us in the course of living our life. There are common sufferings that are the result of being a disciple. And as Paul illustrates these points, he says, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So sufferings come and we have solidarity with that. And then there is comfort that comes. And that principle here flows from the previous one. And that's this, the comfort that comes from Christ as we share his sufferings is part of the commonality that every believer shares. It's the same idea, the same words. This is the reality. See, the comfort of Christ is ours in abounding measure. That's the idea. So look back over your life as a believer and see this, Paul says. And I think we also need to learn, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, we were destined for sufferings with Christ. Paul says it overflows abundantly to us. Jesus says the servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So we really then, as an application, need to stop looking as if at it as if some unusual thing, some unusual difficulty, some unusual hardship in ministry is happening to us. As if somehow that's uh, different than what has happened all along and what continues to happen to every believer. You know, rejection and insult and witness and, and difficulty and hardship in ministry and insult and slander in the truth. Those of you who stand for truth, those of you who, theologians and philosophers who stand for truth and, and exact that truth out there in the public and then receive all the insult and the slander that comes from that. Uh, these are marks of the mission and you share in Christ in the sufferings that he shared in and you share then in the comfort that comes from him too. And those are the marks. And they come and overabundance with them of encouragement and help and courage in, beloved, in the promises and the fruit that overflow from Jesus. See? And so there's encouragement and comfort that just comes from the fact that you put the gospel out there and the gospel always does what it's supposed to do. And so even though you receive slander, even though you receive insult, you were rejected, you, you know, your difficulty and hardship in ministry, your family doesn't, they just don't want to talk to you anymore, whatever that happens to be, you know, you know, there's a continued assurance of comfort in Jesus. And he was convinced, Paul was, that God was the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, and though, and through Jesus, he was continually comforted in abundance for every affliction that was his through his relationship to Jesus. And that comfort, again, could come in the form of the presence of the indwelling spirit. 
And just that peace that surpasses all understanding. You're just like, Lord, I'm doing what you want me to do, and I'm standing for you, and I'm getting this, I'm getting this, uh, this resistance, I'm getting this slander, I'm getting this insult, I'm getting this, uh, all of this kinds of things, this rejection, this, uh, all of that. And I just, the Holy Spirit just gives you that peace. You know, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. It could come from perseverance and proven character and hope that that reveals in your own life. That purifying process that goes on when you're having difficulty. It could come from Jesus' love poured out in your heart. Romans 5, 5. Overflowing poured out. Not dripping, overflowing in you. And that, that could be that. It could be the success Christ gives the gospel. That, you know, as you put that out there and you have response, you realize, hey, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. And people come to faith and you're like, you know, it's worth all the rejection, all the suffering, all the difficulty, all the slander, all the insult, because the success of the gospel is given through Christ. Strengthening, comforting can also come from the hope of reward. You know, and whatever it is that you suffer, you know, you bring about glory towards the Lord in a way that you would never be able to glorify him for eternity uh, if you hadn't gone through the difficulty. And so this hope of reward of knowing you'll be able to, uh, to glorify the Redeemer for eternity because of the difficult times you suffered, uh, that is encouraging too. So now that we've laid that foundation, okay, and, and I want to continue, I say it a number of times because Paul does, and also because it's just so different than the normal approach we have to difficulty and hardship and, and suffering. And so we just, it has to be a complete mind shift, if you will. It's a dichotomy between what the world teaches you about, you know, suffering and victimize and all this kind of stuff and your victim mentality and what the Lord says, these things are ordained through him and they come through his hand and in his sovereignty, he brings them to your life and he has this great purpose in it and he may have some specific purposes for you specifically and your character and the way that you interact with people, but he has certainly a greater purpose for his own glory and to bring about this perfection in you and in every believer and the comfort and assurance that he's going to bring along with it. So, all these things are a foundation, and, and let's continue with Paul's illustration where he makes some direct connections here in the next couple of verses. And these principles build on each other in getting the sweet from the bitter. That's how we've titled this message, uh, from a man who modeled these things from some very difficult circumstances. So we saw principle one, Paul's life, getting the sweet from the bitter, an attitude of confident assurance in the nature of God. Principle two, Paul's experience has been every time at the point of trouble, God is actively comforting. Principle three, Paul says, be encouraged. God doesn't waste a moment of suffering. He gives us these benefits so that we can give them away to other people. And then to illustrate those points, Paul starts with principles four and five. And he says, just know that the sufferings of Christ, that Christ had to suffer, are part of the commonality that you share with him. And you are fair game. If you name Christ, you are going to suffer. And in the midst of that, remember, the comfort that comes from Christ as we share in his sufferings is part of that commonality that all believers share. You're also going to share with that with him. You are part and parcel and fair game to that comforting, just like you were to the difficulties. So there's been some equipping that's been done, some provision that's been made, and that leads us into our next two verses. Look at verse 6, if you would. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffered. Verse 7, And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that, as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of, all co- of our comfort. That's our next focus. So let's break it down. And before we do that, I want, to, I want to say this. There's an important principle, I think, that you can see there that covers this whole section but becomes so apparent in these two verses. So it really covers from verse 3 to verse 7, but it becomes very apparent here in verses um, six and seven, and it's this. Principle six, getting the sweet from the bitter is this. There is a partnership, catch this, beloved, there is a partnership in the church. All of our sufferings and our difficulties enabled us to minister 
to each other. So it, you know, that principle covers everything we've looked at, but really here it's very specific. Paul just gets, he connects all the dots for us, if you will. If the church, and here's the deal, if the church is functioning here in the way that it is designed to function, then in suffering, you are not out there on your own. Okay? Along with the growth and the maturity and the humbling and God accomplishing some certain thing in your life, there is ministry that's to be done. And that appears to be very encompassing. Whatever the difficulty from whatever the source, see, there's a partnership. So you can say this, my suffering and difficulty are for me and for who? You, okay? And your suffering and your difficulty are for you and for me. I mean, that's Paul's whole point, isn't it? If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort, see? And salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings we also suffer. So as we take Paul's understanding here, we realize that we're not out there on our own. And there is suffering and difficulty for me, that God is doing some certain thing in my own life. And then it is also for you as well, because there's some ministry I'm going to be able to do. And vice versa. God has some certain things he's accomplishing in your life. And that is for you specifically. And then it's also for ministry where you reciprocate back to me some of those things. And we're going to see that so clearly. And that shouldn't surprise us, should it? And I've said this numerous times, and you know this. The Lord equips his church just like that. Okay? Let's break you know, this section down and begin with this first section of verse 6. But understand, the Lord makes up his church that way. He has given specific gifts, specific talents, abilities. He's put that together. With difficult times, he's brought you through. And he puts us all together so we can minister to one another. And people say, well, you know... And I just find this is really sad in the church where people say, well, there's some things that I go through that the church is not capable of handling. I would beg to differ with that, okay? I would say that the church has been given the gifts and abilities and difficult times in their in individual lives to deal with the issues that come up in the day-to-day life of a believer. It is completely sufficient. The Bible and those people who are around you are completely sufficient to deal with the issues that you go through, Okay? Now, look at verse 6, if you would. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And again, that word afflicted is the verb form of flipsis, that pressing pressure. It's present, passive, indicative. Flebometha, if you want the actual form. So, in other words, the current condition caused by an outside force, that's the passive. Okay, so something's going on, it's creating pressure on the individual. If we are afflicted, Paul says, if we, perhaps he's speaking of Timothy, you know, the number of the men around him, if we're afflicted, okay, if there's a pressing pressure, it's present passive addictive, there's some outside force or influence. And we looked at all the kind of possible scenarios that could be. It could be difficult people, it could be difficult circumstances in your life, money problems, whatever it is. See, whatever is, it's an outside force creating this pressure on you. Okay, if we're afflicted, if we're put in pressing pressure, it is for your comfort. Here again is that partnership in action. Again, through the comfort we receive, we become comforters, not a victim, but a minister. So it's for you. If we're afflicted, Paul says, it's for you. And then he says this, and salvation. So if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort. And then he says, and salvation. That's interesting that he puts that in there. That's a Greek noun you're no longer, you're, you're no doubt familiar with. Soteria, right? And soteriology is the study or the doctrine of salvation. For the believer, it's the ultimate delivery from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin by faith in the completed work of Christ. So that the study of salvation is that. 
And here are a couple ways this verse could be taken. So Paul says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort. We understand that. He's already made that clear. Then he says, and salvation. And there are a a couple ways we could take that, and we'll look at them. Number one is this. This could be Paul referring to we, so he and Timothy, and Barnabas and, and others who went through so much difficulty and so much hardship and so much persecution to bring the gospel to this church. And so we could say, he says, if we're, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. He could say, so his afflictions resulted, if you will, in their hearing the gospel and responding. So Paul went through all kinds of difficulty and all kinds of obstacles and all kinds of roadblocks and hardships and whatever it was and perils from the, from his, his countrymen and perils from the, from rivers and perils from the oceans and all the things that Paul said. He went through all of that and he got there, okay, and he was able to present the gospel and it resulted in their salvation. So it could, that could be what Paul's referencing in a general sense, if he says that. And missionaries the world over from every century could relate to that, could they not? Taking a long boat ride, if you will, to some, some foreign land and, and a, a child dying or a wife dying in difficult times and all of that, okay? And then through all of that difficulty and all that affliction, the gospel's presented to this, this nation that's never heard and Christ does his work and encourages those individuals with comfort by the success of the gospel. And so by affliction, it's for your comfort and salvation. It could mean that, certainly general sense. It could mean that. I think Luke 18 really speaks to that end, doesn't it? Peter said, behold, we've left our own homes and we followed you. And not only did they leave their homes, they left their, their uh, wherewithal, if you would. They were fishermen, all the ways that they brought in income, everything that they were comfortable with. They had no place really to lay their head during the course of Jesus' three-year ministry. And so he says, behold, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. So I think the loss of of things for the sake of the kingdom is in view here, the difficult things that go on as a result of the kingdom, and that's sometimes what it takes for that to happen. And so Paul said in Philippians that he had, what, suffered the loss of all things and counted them as Rubbish. So that just took in a real big swath of Paul's life. Okay, I suffered the loss of academia and all the honor that went with with that. I suffered the loss of of a home and and perhaps a wife and all kinds of things that are part of Paul's background. Paul says I suffered the loss of all those things and count them as rubbish to know Christ to gain Christ. And so the second way, though, I think to look at the passage could be in order here. And I think this is more likely that one's a general sense. I think you could say this. That's what it means for sure. And you could be right. But I think the second one is really what Paul has in order because he says comfort first. And that's kind of a clue, if you will, that perhaps it's not necessarily the gospel, the saving gospel uh, that he's talking about, but perhaps something else. And this could be Paul again, though. He's referring to himself and the other apostles going through much hardship, much affliction. So if we are if we are afflicted. And then that hardship and that affliction during the course of his ministry was so that they could bring comfort to the church, and we saw that, and salvation. And that is in the sense, I think, of perseverance. In the positional sense, you are saved to the uttermost, eternally secure and safe from judgment, positionally, correct? So we understand that salvation positionally, you are saved to the uttermost, okay? But we understand from a practical perspective that the Lord is still working on us, bringing us to that future glorification, right? So there's a process of salvation that's occurring called sanctification, right? And so I think that's the idea more perhaps than the previous one, although the previous one certainly works and it's certainly true. So his afflictions then resulted in their, here it is, in the practical sense, being saved, which is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit 
at work in the life of the believer all through the physical time on earth and completed, of course, upon the glorification of the body. So, catch this. Until that time, the unredeemed flesh, where that residual presence of sin is found, continues to need to be brought into subjection. And that appears to be Paul's primary meaning here. If I'm afflicted, he says, it is for your comfort and for your ongoing sanctifying deliverance to this final salvation. That appears to be the same idea that Paul's expressing in Philippians 1, 21 through 25. So he says this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We understand that, right? We, we understand living uh, in Christ and in the body that Christ has, he has inhabited us. We live in Christ and all things we do through him. But to die is gain because it's to leave behind this, this unredeemed body and to be with the master. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in this flesh, this will mean, 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 this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose. Verse 23, not that it was his decision anyway, but Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm conflicted in my mind. I would like to be with Christ, but to stay here means fruitful ministry for me, and I don't know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions. In other words, lots of hardship, lots of affliction make him long for his true home. So hard-pressed on the physical side is he's going through all kinds of difficulty, and so that makes him long for home. Hard-pressed on the other side is he's longing to be with Christ and be free from all of that. And the conflict that comes with the residual presence of sin in the flesh. And this constant battle that's going on, as Paul reiterates to us in Romans 7. This constant battle. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Who will? Christ. Someday, will be delivered. But right now, I'm hard-pressed. And so it's hard. So he says, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh, catch this, is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Here's another way of expressing 1 Corinthians 1.6. For your progress and your joy in the faith. Catch it? So Paul says, listen, you know, if I'm afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. What kind of salvation? Well, certainly he was afflicted and the gospel was brought to them through much affliction. But really, I think it's more, I'm afflicted and comforted and I bring comfort to you and this continuing perfecting the Lord wants to do in your life through what you see happening in my life. Paul says, listen, there's a lot of work that can still be done if I stay here. And the main thing is, it's necessary for your sake. And I'm convinced that I'm going to remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, see? For to you, it's been granted for Christ's sake. Catch it. So we know exactly what he's talking about. In the very next verse here in Philippians, he says, for, for to you, it's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing, catch it, the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So Paul says, it's much better for me to be here and be afflicted and comforted and bring to you that encouragement that you can make it through this because now you're going through the same stuff that I went through, see? And so I think that's Paul's intent in 1 Corinthians 1.6. If I stick around, my affliction and comfort are going to help you understand what you need to do. And he begins to indicate this partnership. And he says, you know, my suffering's linked to you. Uh, Paul says, you know, it was the things I had to suffer and my afflictions that molded me and shaped me into the man that God wanted me to be when I came to you and I preached to you. The Lord was at work doing that. And so it includes that. And, and God wasn't done with Paul, of course, at the point that he came to Corinth. In fact, he was going to use some of the Corinthians to continue to shape Paul, wasn't he? I mean, Paul... 
Paul still wasn't where the Lord wanted him, and he used the difficult times at the church and the things that people said to him as a shaping tool, right? If we understand everything's from the Lord and we understand the relationship Paul had with the church, we can see that. And we'll talk about that again more in a moment. So now he says, it's my willingness to put my life on the line by God's grace and in the power of the Spirit be afflicted and comforted that allows me to continue this ongoing relationship that will comfort you and continue this progress and joy and sanctification that will bring you to your final glorification. And just as a footnote, as we talked about just a second ago, when Paul talks about his afflictions, I mean, you got to imagine that there's got to be some thought in his mind that this church has been responsible for not a little bit of a percentage of them, right? I mean, he doesn't actually say, and you've been really effective in shaping me to be like Christ. He doesn't say that and insult them. But, it, I mean, obviously we understand this relationship with him and the hardship that they caused for him and that some of the things they said, and we're going to see more in Second Corinthians, how disrespectful they were and inconsiderate. But, you know, you got to imagine that, you know, it's in Paul's mind, hey, not, not no small percentage of these afflictions have come as a result of this church. And, and it's just obvious, knowing what we know about the nature of his relationship to them, right? So they've taken tremendous amounts of his time, 18 months on the planting, and then a lot of time in writing and in prayer and in, in, uh, and discouragement in his own heart. And they were unconcerned about his feelings and they were disrespectful of him and very critical of him. And they took his, they took his emotion and they took his intense longing for them and they just trashed it. They didn't care. And they, he poured a lot into them and they've given him a lot of grief. And undoubtedly there, there was this lack of compassion. Uh, toward Paul by the Corinthians. There was this hard-heartedness, in, su- in some respects a coldness and a failure to comprehend that Paul's pain and his suffering and affliction, catch this, beloved, had been by God's will. See, we fall into that so often. We think, oh man, he's going through a difficult time. I mean, he deserves it, right? I mean, he, de- he deserves it. He's brought it on himself, right? She brought it on herself. She's right in the mix of a miss, of a mess. And this, just, she brought that on herself or he brought it on himself. And that's, you know, that's the coldness and hard-heartedness of the Corinthian church. Instead of looking at it as, okay, the Lord's bringing them through this and this is from his sovereign hand and he's going to make this person uh, in a certain way that he wants them to be, see? So this is cold hearted, hard-heartedness there and they didn't comprehend, you know, his affliction had been by God's will, see? And God had allowed him in his ministry for the sake of perfecting the man. And Paul brings this to the church and he brings their attention back to it in first, in first Corinthians 12, 26. You remember this as he illustrates the body, he says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And we are so not used to doing that, aren't we? we we're so used to like, um, kind of rejoicing when somebody's having a hard time. Well, they deserve that. I mean, hopefully they learn something from it instead of suffering along with them. See, it's just very simple, doesn't it? It seems like very simple. If we're going to be compassionate towards one another, Right? And we're not going to remember records of wrong and we're going to be believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. You know, love never fails, that kind of thing, you know, that, that, that describes love in the church. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. It just seems obvious, right? If one member is honored, all the membership rejoice with it instead of being envious. It's like, man, I wish I could have got that, you know. Now you are Christ's body, individually members of it. Very simple, right? So Paul expounds on that very simple principle that should be part of the church. You know, at least they could function like a body and have sympathy towards Paul and others who were having difficult time. But he goes further here in the letter and he says, there's a purpose in suffering and affliction. So not only should you suffer with them, realize there's more going on here for the benefit of the church. So he reminds them again, you know, and it won't be the last time. I've gone through so much affliction and you've put me through additional affliction 
But in all of it, realize God comes to me and he makes me strong and he shores me up so that I can come to you and make you strong and shore you up and bring you to maturity. Look at the next part of verse 6. So Paul starts and he says, but if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. We looked at that. Paul comes around again and he drives the point home because it's so important. Look at the last part of, of uh, next part of verse 6. Or if we are comforted, Paul says, see where we are? It is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Pause right there. So some key words are here and they're important in our understanding. And again, there is this partnership in all of this. I think you can see it. There is this linking together, if you will, in ministry. Paul says, when I'm comforted, it's for you. Why? Because it becomes effective in enabling you to patiently endure the same sufferings which we also suffer. So let's look at the words. Comforted. Perkalumetha. Present, passive, indicative. Again, um, we're looking at this. There's this outside influence. What is the outside influence? So the comfort is coming from? From the Lord, right? So we are, we are afflicted and then this comfort comes. So if we are comforted, so it's passive. So the Lord is bringing this, God of all comfort, Father of mercy. That's our reality, Paul says, right? So if we're comforted, it's for your comfort. And God, God accomplishes that. So it's a trust. I receive the comfort from the Lord. And then I pass that on to you. See, so Paul's just coming around again, making sure they understand this. And that has an outworking. Here's what it says. Look there. Which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And that word effective is very important. That's the verb energeo. That's where we get our word energy. Uh, and the word patient enduring is very important. It's a word that we have seen over and over in uh, in uh, our studies. But it's just one word in the original. Hupomone. Remember that? It's, it's patient enduring. That's one word. It has to do with someone who stays the course in spite of the storm. So Paul says this, and we looked at this passage several weeks ago, but it's worth another peek in Romans 5, 3 through 4, because you're going to see the exact same words here. This is so amazing. So Paul says, and not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations. Just seems incongruous, those two uh, words that we're exalting in tribulation. Why, Paul? Because there's a whole bunch going on here. See, Knowing... This is common knowledge. You should know this. This is part of the knowledge every believer has. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That's our word. Okay. Hupomone. So patient, enduring, perseverance in the scriptures. One word. Hupomone. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. So catch this. Pressing pressure brings about patient, enduring. Okay. And knowing that, Paul adds some dynamic to this process. Follow me here. Paul says that ministry in the church of comforting not only makes more comforters and reprints of the Holy Spirit's ministry, of course, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, but principle number seven, catch it, okay? Comforting one another energizes patient enduring. So not only are we to do it, it creates a benefit in the life of those you speak to. So listen, beloved, if you've been comforted, if you've had difficult times maybe from the start of your life, if you've had to struggle through difficult hardship and maybe it's been very hard on you and pressing pressure and you haven't enjoyed it too much and you've certainly not, you certainly not exalted in it yet, but now that you're looking back on it, you can see the Lord's hand here, okay, and you understand his sovereignty. If you have been comforted, then you have an obligation at that point to comfort others because the comfort you give them not only is an overflow to them, but it produces in them this marvelous thing called patient endurance. So in, uh, in other words, in your comforting each other, you're part of the process God uses to bring about perseverance, proven character, and hope, according to Romans 5, 3 through 4. Because perseverance brings about proven character. That's that purging of all the dross and skimming off all the things that shouldn't be there, see? And proven character, hope. 
And those are, I would say, and I'm sure you would agree, pretty important qualities in the life of the believer. Wouldn't you say? I mean, perseverance, proven character, and hope are pretty important. They appear to be the exact reason why the Lord takes us through difficult times. So Paul says, if we are afflicted, verse 6, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And that's an interesting ending to the verse. And it may be this. Maybe, you know, maybe it's Paul's hopeful thinking for the future of the church. As you know, this church is very, uh, very uh, immature. So maybe, maybe uh, he's thinking, wishful thinking, you're going to patiently endure the same sufferings we also suffer. Maybe he's thinking, someday you'll get to that point where I can say, you're, you are, you are uh, exalting in your tribulation because you know what's going to produce. So maybe it's, it's the future, and, and at some point they'll get it and suffer as God has ordained every believer to suffer, and they'll forget the whole why me thing and all things are against me thing, and they'll move into this, hey, the Lord's ordained this in my life, and I'm going to go through it and, and exalt because he's got some things he wants to do in me, and that's going to make me a comforter to other people. And in that comforting and that obligation of comforting creates this patient enduring in the people you're comforting. See? And it, it could be that, and that's the, that's the, uh, you know, the negative side of me, or maybe it could be uh, some of the people at the Corinthian church were getting the same kind of suffering Paul was getting, which means they were suffering for righteousness' sake, and that indicates there was a group of committed people there, and perhaps that's the case. Perhaps Paul's just stating the obvious, see, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. You're already showing forth these fruit of difficult times. But either way, Paul looks to a future mature church where this is the synergy, if you will, and the unity in the difficulties and hardships in life. Not victims, but godly believers who know God's at work, producing some good thing in each of them through difficulty, and they know God is good and he is consistently and constantly comforting them and any difficulty that they can, so that they can comfort other people in order to energize the production of this fruit of patient enduring, proven character, all the dross, and imperfections removed, and hope, that joyful confidence of the expectation of eternal salvation. That's, that's this whole marvelous process, see, that happens inside of difficulty. And Paul revisits that same topic that he did in Romans 5, right here in verse 7. Look there, and we're going to wrap up, okay? Verse 7. So immediately, and our hope for you is firmly granted. Paul has hope. He's been through this difficult time, and he's persevering at Hupomone, and this per- perseverance has, has proven this character of Paul, and he's skimmed off all the dross and all this, and he's been able to be used of them, and then this proven character hope. Paul has this hope, and he says, and our hope for you is firmly grounded. Why, Paul? Knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of all comfort. Paul says, listen, I know this for sure. This is an established fact, and our hope for you is firmly grounded. This is not, you know, this is not shaky ground. I'm hoping this will, you know, I know for a fact that as you are sharers of our suffering, you also will share in our comfort. Why? Because God's the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. And he does this to every believer. We know God produces the finished product in each of you that he determines to produce, Paul says. I am confident this is going to be the end for you because this is the direction every believer gets to go. I know that you are sharers, know that as you are sharers in our sufferings, also you are sharers in our comfort. Again, it's a partnership, see, that we're in. Here's the deal. Biblically, you can never look at your own suffering independent of the whole body of Christ. I've, I've always scratched my head um, when we have a way to share difficulties privately amongst believers 
And I find out after the fact somebody's going through a really hard time and they haven't shared that with anybody. Listen, the Lord has put believers here just for you. Did you know that? With the exact spiritual temperament that you need to form you into an effective, mature believer. Did you know that? We, we're supposed to minister to each other. And to go through that under your own, listen, is to miss the understanding that you, know, you don't have suffering that's independent of the whole body of Christ. When one, when one member of the body suffers, what did Paul say? All of the body suffers. And when one member rejoices, all the body rejoices. See? But man, we have to get really personal with each other if that happens, don't we? There, catch this too. There isn't any such Christian virtue as poor me. Okay? That's not a Christian virtue. All these things are against me, poor me. Okay? There are some in the Corinthian church and in the modern church who are suffering for the kingdom, for righteousness sake, for the gospel, or so that the Lord can accomplish some certain thing in them. The same reason Paul is suffering is the same reason ordinary faithful Christians are suffering. And he says, we can mutually share in each other's lives the comfort we have received from the Lord. And this, he says, is effective in energizing you to patiently endure through those sufferings to be found as pure gold. So there is this, if you will, and I think a a real obligation to become a comforter. To take what the Lord has brought you through and use that as energy to start a process in someone else where they're having a difficult time. See, There's this connection on a much more intimate basis than perhaps the modern church feels comfortable with. I think you, you guys do it really well. There's a lot of stuff that goes on here under the radar that is, is that comforting that's going on. And I think that's great. And I think it can continue to do, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4 all the more. You know, discipleship is costly. You know? I mean, Jesus talks to his disciples. If anyone wishes to come after me, he's going to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What's that mean? You're just going to do everything I ask you to do, and you're going to suffer through the things I've suffered through? That's what it looks like to be a disciple. Okay? Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Who wants to lose, who, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, it's going to be real life and feeling like you have accomplished something for eternity is going to be found as you follow these rules, very simple, laid out for us, these, this encouragement through Paul's own hardships. See, not Paul standing there on his ivory tower saying, okay, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, and then you do this, and then you do that. He's saying, in the middle of my hardship, this is what I've learned, and this is what I want you to see. Okay, I've been comforted. I'm going to comfort you. Paul, the Lord's leaving me here, even in the midst of hardship, even though I'd long, I'd much rather be with Christ because it's much better for you because you're going to see how the Lord shaped me and made me the person I am uh, because through hardship and I can comfort you. And in that comfort, there's going to be this energy that's going to start producing this patient endurance in you for this future of hope and proven character. And so, you know, as we started this morning, we, we can't always make conclusions about what the, Lord's, what the Lord's doing in some particular difficulty, can we? Can't we always automatically look at somebody else's life and say, okay, I know what the Lord's up to here, okay? They've had this difficult, they've been doing this, this thing and they shouldn't be doing it, and that's why the Lord's doing it. That could be. I don't think that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, we need to speak the truth and love to one another, of course. And if the Lord's given you a gift of discernment and understanding and love that goes along with that, perhaps you need to speak to someone's life. And maybe this is the reason why you're having a hard time. Maybe not. Maybe it's just to prove a heavenly point. And there isn't any difficulty there. But whatever it is, see, whatever it is, we're, you know, we know 
that in everything he's doing some good thing in our life, see. And he wants us to be connected, not, not uh, I don't care if it doesn't happen to me kind of thing. And we're out of time because we have some great updates on our missionaries and a promo for our summer outreach. I don't want to leave enough time for that. But just to encourage you in your thoughts next time, I want to start with the difference between suffering for righteousness' sake and suffering for wickedness because Peter takes that on and I just want to give you that passage and you, the Holy Spirit can use that as he sees fit. First Peter 4, 12 through 19. We'll start with that next time and then move into our next section, which I'm looking forward to, delivered from suffering. As Paul, Paul says, listen, he says, catch this because verse 8 is pretty cool. He says, and our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. And then Paul immediately shares his suffering. So he becomes very transparent to them and says, here's what we went through. Why, why is he sharing that? Because that is going to produce what? In his comfort of them, a patient endurance and this, this purifying process. So Paul immediately does exactly what he says they're supposed to do. He does that to them in the next verse. So I think you'll really enjoy that, that passage. I know I have. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Allow the Lord to work with us in, in this passage, okay? And then we'll shift gears and go to our missionary updates and to our outreach for the summer. All right, let's bow our head in prayer, if you would. Lord, we thank you today for our opportunity to be in your word. We love your word. We say that all the time, and we do. We love your word. We love the author of the word, uh, your Holy Spirit, who has really spoken through and carried men along to give us your mind. We thank you for giving us your mind. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And so, Lord, help us to focus on those things. And, Lord, you have given us some very practical guidance here through your servant Paul and Lord I pray that we will learn how this works that we'll get rid of this victim mentality this somehow understanding that everything's against us somehow these things were out of your control and instead understanding that through all this you can work about this marvelous work in our own life of shaping us into the tool you wish us to be so that we are effective in ministering to the church and Lord I pray that you continue to do that here thank you for all that's already going on please do that work more Lord, thank you for the ministries that are going on downstairs. Thank you for the many teachers and, and helpers who are there. Thank you for all that went on in Sunday school and the sacrifice that happens there, the getting up early and coming and putting up with all kinds of stuff to make sure that the little ones here, we thank you for the many who are so faithful to do that. Would you bless them and encourage them. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, obviously, at work in their lives and it makes us give uh, rejoice and it get, brings you glory as people see what's happening. Thank you for the meeting of immediate needs that occurs be, uh, underneath the radar all the time here. Uh, believers who know what the needs are of someone else and then make that happen. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you for um, the blessing of encouragement and the filling up that I received many times from individuals here, much like Paul did with Stephanus and others who came and just filled him up. Thank you for that. Thank you for that going on amongst others as well. So in all those thanksgiving, Lord, we pray that we'll be the type of church that is being molded into a reprint of Christ through even through difficult times where we can exalt knowing that the final product is what you desire. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus and all God's people together said, Amen.